Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. between the last episode that we had together and this episode that they weren't going to win a game. Like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh my what did we do? Like, we went on the show and talked positively, and I'm sitting there saying, look at this schedule, and look at what they're doing. And I'm like, let's see how they finish out May, but if they can keep up this clip, you could start getting excited about what the possibilities of this season is. And, and like, you know, I don't expect them to go out and win the World Series or even win the division, but, man, this is going to be like a blast, and then they lose like seven straight. So thank goodness. They finally won a game before we sat down and recorded because I was really worried that like Pirates fans are going to come after us with pitchforks and torches. Yeah, I mean, I I was I was thinking people like in the middle of the week were probably listening to it after you know they lost, got swept by the the Rays, and I went to the the Jays game on Friday night and they don't even score a run and just basically look like an overmatched team. So anybody that's listening to you know that podcast from last week is probably like. What in the world are these guys talking about? Guys but I, talking I, st- about, I think right? it still holds true a lot of what we said. <laughs> well, here's the thing. What did I say, though? I said the Rays series was going to be really difficult and the Blue Jays series was going to be really difficult. And that if they came out of that with only two wins, they should be happy. Like, I figured they would lose both series. I didn't expect them to get swept out of both series. Yeah. I think that was the thing. Like, I mean, to me, I didn't expect them to go and play 500 or over 500 against the best team in baseball and a very dangerous Blue Jays team at this point in the development of the Pirates. I said, you know, you're going to limp through that, and then you got to beat up on the Rockies. You're going to get a test against the Orioles and find out, you know, what kind of team are we and where are we in our rebuild compared to a team like them who's also doing well early on, and they're trying to get their window opened up after they've been building. And then you get the hapless Tigers next week. And then you get the Diamondbacks. And then you get the Rangers who have been up and down. And then you get a struggling Mariners team. And then you get a giant. Like, I was looking at this at this month, and I remember saying specifically on the last show, like, I, I kind of glossed over. I'm like, eh, let's see how the next six games go. And then you got to start beating up on people. And so, you know, they weren't ready yet. They weren't ready for those teams yet. It shows that they're not ready yet. But let's see what they do for the next couple of weeks. There's still plenty of positives on this team. You're still, what, what five games over 500 right now as we're sitting here talking, a half game up in the, in the division? You're, you're going you're gonna to play fun baseball, and if you could continue to be five games up or somewhere around that, you know, plus or minus two from where you're at right now, when you get to Memorial Day weekend, I would predict you're going to have a fun summer out there. Yeah, and there is um, a good stuff to pull from all of that. I mean, 
I mean, we'll get to Mitch Keller's start last night, but even had a very strong start, you know, down against the Rays. He was going toe to toe with Shane McClanahan, some some defensive struggles. So there was a bunch of stuff that kind of the wheels started falling off. It was, you know, bad defense. You know, the hitting, you know, kind of went like very cold for a lot of the players at, at the same period of time. But we're also seeing, you know, that they're making adjustments a lot quicker than they would have in, in previous years. Mark Mathias actually wasn't hitting that poorly, but, you know, wasn't showing the range at defense. So there, you know what, we'll give, we'll give Chris Owings a shot. He's been playing pretty well done in AAA, played better shortstop than, you know, a lot of the other players in spring training. Let's bring him up. You know, Chase DeYoung, who had some favorable numbers last year, but if you looked at, you know, the advanced metrics, it looked like he was maybe going to slide back. They put him on his rehab start. He came up, he had, you know, two pretty bad starts and they're like, dude, you know, sorry, he's getting DFA'd. So we're seeing, you know, more movement up and down. You know, Josh Palacios hitting well uh, is brought up now. They have, I think, 14 position players and 12 pitchers. They do have a couple off days here and there, but they could also move a pitcher up and move a Miguel Anjuar down, who, you know, had a fire lit under him when he first came up, but hasn't been doing really anything for the past week. They could put him down. So there's there's a lot of things that I'm looking at here. You know, untimely injuries with Vince Velasquez, who had been pitching well. Three horrible starts in a row for Johan Oviedo, who's a, a young player who has had his ups and downs. And I think a lot of times people were looking at, you know, our rotation this year and we're saying, oh, you know, Mitch is going to be better. And we're hoping that, you know, Ronzi, he should take that step forward. Well, Ronzi's been struggling, you know, these last couple of times out because he's a young pitcher. But like you said, we're, we're hovering and we're above 500 at this point in time. You get off to that hot start, you get a little bit of cushion the league punches back and you got to see how you kind of measure up as you go on. It's like, okay, the next time we play a team like that, we need to be a little bit more prepared than we were against the Rays and the Blue Jays. But there's a lot of good stuff that came out of it. And, and you're learning stuff about players that, you know, you may not have learned about. I mean, they're saying, you know, Marcana, you're playing shortstop. Owings playing shortstop. <laughs> I'm not sure if Castro can play shortstop right now because he's got six airs. So they're moving him over. They're making decisions to get, you know, going in a winning direction. So stuff has been different. It was just, you know, after you get that high, man, that last week, I think I thought people were going to start taking like the, the Roberto Clemente bridge into the Allegheny. I mean, it was, it was really tough to watch, but it, there's stuff that you can learn from losing as well. If you ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me. And not just because of the white beard, but also because of the why that is always on top of my head. The hat I always wear. The Yin's brand. Proud partners with Bucks in the Basement. Three dynasties. One brand. Yin's. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yin's for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online 
at WW Shop Yins, the emphasis on the two Z's, high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold, made for Yins by a Yinzer. Listen, the Oviedo thing, you, you bring him up, and I and I have him on my fantasy baseball team. And and like I, I picked him up because he's re, he's relief pitcher eligible as a starter. So if I get him as a two star pitcher, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna beat people. So I, I've been getting killed by his last couple of starts. And I benched him and I'm not even sure if I'm gonna keep him around because I sit around and I look at his his trend and his trend is ugly right now. And the only thing that I can think of is this is a guy that wasn't even going to be in the rotation. Injury forced him into the rotation. And you got a nice little spark at the beginning, and maybe there's something there, and maybe the t- the league is adjusted to him, or maybe he's tipping something, or maybe he needs to develop another pitch or get better at something, and that comes down to player development. I don't know if he lasts the entire year in your rotation. And what you want is you want to remember that sitting down there in the minor leagues, you have a couple of really nice pitching prospects that will hopefully make enough noise that if he isn't able to come out of the funk that he's in, it won't really hurt you that much. Because there's other guys that are coming. This is the beginning of the window. This is when you you learn how to win and you you hope to have a really nice season. What do we talk about? Man, if we could just be like a 500 baseball club after after having 100 losses last year and learn how to win, that's a, that's a boon for the Pirates coming out of this thing. Well, you got a team that's over 500. You got a team that's got a lot of guys that are coming along that you didn't expect. You got a team that identified a lot of free agents and little pieces that they added to the team that most of major league baseball passed over and they found gold just sitting there in amongst the rocks and, and knew just which pieces they needed to place inside of there. And now what you're going to wait is for a little bit of young talent to move up. And you're going to wait to see what forms as the core. And part of that is signing guys who you think you're going to keep around for a long time. And I would say right now, if you could extend, after extending uh, Brian Reynolds, if you could extend Mitch Keller, I think you can get a bargain on him, Craig. Because Mitch Keller's having a good start to his year. I think he's got the pedigree for it, but he doesn't have the track record, right? And so you might get a discount right now if you bargain with him. And that's what the Pirates have to do. That's how they have to operate. They have to operate like teams that have to get guys on discounts. And they've got to go identify it earlier than the player can even sit there and say, I know I'm good. Or I have this track record and I'm not afraid to go in the free agency. You want the player to be thankful that you believe in him after only a couple of months of real performance at a high level. And this would be the time where I'd be talking to Mitch Keller. Yeah, and Mitch Keller, he he's like one of those guys that, you know, he's found it. I, I believe he's found at least the ability to be like we said before, I think at the end of last year, which is a regular part of the rotation, whether or not he's going to be, you know, peak Mitch that he's been. I mean, you, you can't disagree with what we've seen so far this year. And especially last night, his first, com- you know, his first complete game, first complete game for the Pirates in <laughs> in a long time. I think Stephen Brault had the last one in like 2020. And that's, you know, Stephen Brault. It's impressive. It's super impressive. Look at Major League Baseball and how some teams literally teach their pitchers to go for strikeouts and take away the ability of even a, a player putting the ball in the play and that they're almost structured to get to their bullpens in the fifth or sixth inning. And and it's, it's a dying art, a pitcher going for complete games, and you want guys that can go and do that. 
You know, you want a guy that goes out there with this quick and pace of play and, you know, goes out there for about two, two and a half hours and, and pitches eight, nine innings and give and gives your bullpen a rest in the middle of may, maybe if they're having a rough week or they were overused with other guys and can stop the bleeding when your team's lost a lot of games. That last performance, that's the reason why I'm sitting there saying, okay, I'm believing this. And, you know, end of the year, what he's done at the beginning of the year, the pedigree, the way he wasn't used properly by the last regime when he was up and down and up and down, and it was like they were ruining him. And now you see what happens when he's when he gets he gets consistency and he gets the same message all the time from this front office, and you see him come along and you see him blossom. He's 27 years old, and what he did in his last start and what he's doing right now is impressive and rare. And right now, if you identify it and you say, you know what, we think this is closer to what he's going to be for the next couple of years than an anomaly, you go give him some money and you lock him up. Yeah, and the big thing is, is I mean, Chris Mack from 93.7, the fan this morning, Mitch Keller came on there, you know, the, the flagship station for the Pirates who, you know, as everybody knows, usually don't ask a lot of the smart questions and don't know. <laughs> a lot of who the prospects are and different stuff. I love your disdain. I love your disdain for the fan. Yeah. Like, I don't know if people ever pick it up, but every time he says it, there's like a little bite to what Craig has to say. Like, ah, oh, the fan. But I mean, they, <laughs> they asked a good question. They asked Mitch Keller about the extension. We all knew that Mitch Keller back in spring had said that there were some, you know, extension talks, but there was, you know, another player that they were talking to wasn't really going to get it in the way of that. But the conversations have continued. It's it's not something that there's been, you know, any formal stuff exchanged back and forth yet. But it definitely seems like it's something that he's open to and that the team's open to. Right now, Mitch Keller in his first year arbitration got one year $2.438 million. So say one year $2.5 million. And so you're looking at that and you have him for two more years of arbitration. So Chris... I told you before the show here, I was looking through, you know, the recent history of pitcher signings or pitcher extensions that happened, you know, before a player reaches free agency. Because once a pitcher reaches free agency, I mean, you might as well add like $10 million to every single one of those years. If a player, if a pitcher is performing well, and if he has a track record of performing well. As of right now, Mitch Keller's track record isn't even a year long. He emerged from the bullpen back on May 31st of last year. And through this year, he has 30 starts, 170 innings pitched. He has an ERA of 3.07. And that whip that you love, Chris, is down below 1.3. It's a 1.26. Decent whip, decent ERA. FIP shows about a 3.5, so there's maybe a little bit of room for adjustment. Maybe he's getting a little bit lucky. Maybe he's pitching really well. I mean, he's been doing a lot of the right things, keeping players where are these numbers? Where do these numbers date back to? This dates back to when he came out of the bullpen because he, reg- uh, he got relegated to the bullpen for a couple right. games. So you're, yeah. you're using stuff from last year. Yes. Right? And you're using this year, where this year is even more impressive, where his whip's at a 1.087, his FIP's at a 3.04, and his ERA's at a 2.72. Yeah, I mean, 
His ERA plus is a 161. And if you don't understand what an ERA plus is, I always try to like explain these things. It's it's adjusted to the batter's ballpark is essentially what it's doing. And if your ERA plus is, you know, over 100 and continues to climb over that and the higher it gets, that's a really good number. 161 is a good number. Yeah. And I I said I was looking for a player who it was fairly similar. I mean, it's it's not going to be exact. It's not an exact science. I mean, even arbitration is not an exact science. If you look back at it, you know, what they can offer Mitch Keller next year would be something that is comparable to, you know, players of his level, you know, what they had received during the previous year. I'm trying to find, like, like a really good pitcher from last year and what he got in his ARB years. Oh, here, I found here. Dylan Cease. He was masterful, right? Like one of the top guys going into the Cy Young. He's having a terrible year this year for the White Sox. 5.7 last year. I would imagine Mitch Keller, if he keeps this up, is about a $5 million deal next year. Yeah. Five, I mean, five to six. And that's what I looked for. I looked for a guy that got an extension and what he had got, you know, in his, his second year of arbitration. And I found, a, I found a pitcher. A lot of people might not be familiar with him. I, I knew Chris and I would be familiar with him just because of, you know, fantasy baseball and, and what have you. And, and that was Pablo Lopez. I love Pablo Lopez. I wish I could get him on my fantasy team. I can't. Yeah. These guys, they, you know how much I love whip, yeah. you know, you know how much I love keeping guys off base. This guy's never had a season where he doesn't have an impressive whip. Like he just never lets people on base. That's why he's so effective. That's why the twins traded away a guy who won a batting title in Luis Arias to go get him for their rotation. It was, and then they extended him immediately because the guy doesn't let people on base. Okay. And, and that's a great comparison for what the two of them are doing right now this season. Yeah. Cause he got 5.45 uh, million in his arbitration. So it would be what Mitch Keller would be coming up on next year. And like you said, Chris, um, over the previous two years, prior to that arbitration, his whips around a 1.5 ERA is around a 3.5. FIP is very similar. So he is kind of, and that would be the pre it's, it's over more innings, more starts. It was like 52 starts, 270 some innings. So over a hundred innings more, but it would look to see if, you know, over, you know, the rest of the year, if Mitch Keller would perform as to where he was at, I mean, he would probably see himself in that, you know, Pablo Lopez level. Um, so what did Pablo Lopez get from the twins? He got four years, $73.5 million, and that was that doesn't include this year. The, the contract starts next year, so they're buying out one year of arbitration, and then they're doing three years of free agency at $21.5 million apiece. Now, here's the thing. I don't think Mitch Keller's getting that, and I think that's why you start talking to Mitch Keller now. Pablo Lopez, I'm going to read off just a couple of different stats over the years. Since he was 22 years old and he broke into the league, here's his whip. You know how much I love this. I always say that if you're below 1.30, you're extremely effective. And then if you're in the teens or below the, like below 1.1, you're really, really good. He is ne- – listen to it every year from 2018. 1.26, 1.24, 1.18, 1.20, 1.16, 1.093 this year. When you when you talk about his, his FIP – his fielding independent pitching and how it dips so quickly from his opening 4.49, 4. 4.28, 3.09, 3.29, 3.71, 3.02. That is solid. He's at an ERA plus over 123 of the last four years. And that's a guy who's shown consistency. Mitch Keller hasn't shown that yet. 
Do you understand? Yeah. So he earned that money because you he's less of a risk. You can get Mitch Keller. You should be able to get Mitch Keller for less than a Pablo Lopez in the hopes that he turns in to a Pablo Lopez because of what we've seen recently when you draw what's happened since he's walked out of the bullpen and then look at what he has this year. You have a smaller sample size, but you see the trend and you can look at it and say, we may have a guy very similar to that early and he doesn't have the track record, so we should be able to get him cheaper. And that's how teams that have to operate with Bob Nutting's budget have to identify talent and make that move quicker. It's a little bit of a roll of the dice, but that's where pro scouting and how you run your front office matter. And that's that's what it's going to come down to if they're going to go from team that went into a rebuild, open up a window, and then are they truly contenders with the big boys later on down the line? you got to be able to get Mitch Keller at a good deal. Yeah, because Mitch Keller, I mean, it's like one of those things where, you know, we're not going to go out and we're not going to be in the, the free agent market for pitchers where guys, you know, going for $30 million plus a year. But if we do develop a guy, and, and for Mitch Keller, it, it took a little bit longer than, you know, we had hoped, but it's not – it's not like he's a unicorn and he's, you know, the first pitcher that, you know, finally figured things out at 27 years old. I mean, that happens a decent amount of the time, but if you say, you know, you know, we only have him for two more years after this. And then we have to hope that, you know, a couple more of our pitchers come along and, and become a Mitch Keller. I mean, you, you, that's a risk. And that's where like in locking him up, like that's the risk that I want to try to avoid. And like you said, hopefully, and Mitch seems uh, extremely happy here. I know that's what people will say. Well, you know, that money makes people happy. Well, Mitch feels comfortable here. Mitch kind of found himself here, uh, gives a lot of credit to, you know, Oscar Marine and and the pitching staff and, and just seems like he is becoming kind of like a little bit of like a mini leader, like within the clubhouse and a guy that's always out there cheering for his teammates, different stuff like that. So you got a guy who's happy. You got a guy who's kind of found himself. He's found himself in your city. He's found himself for your baseball team. And you got to hope that you can can work something out. And, and it's not going to be, you know, it's it's not going to be like the Brian Reynolds. Like, it's not going to be like an eight-year extension because, you know, pitchers hates it's the arms, different stuff. Like, it, it could go. Well, personally, I, I, I'm seriously, three to four years yeah. unless I'm so sure about the guy, right? Like, I'd have to be super sure about somebody to go more than three or four years. I mean, there are certain pitchers that you'd sit there and say, this guy is just an absolute stud, and if I had deep pockets, but I don't think that they can operate that way. I don't think the Pirates will ever operate that way as long as Bob Nutting is is the owner and has the purse strings. But when you look at your rotation right now, I mean, look at look at the current rotation. Is there anybody else in that rotation that you sit there and say, that's a developed pitcher that I believe is somebody who should be within my rotation so that I don't have to worry about it for the next few years. I mean, you're not going to be able to go out and sign two or three starters every year. And Rich Hill's at the end of his career. Oviedo has not proven anything to me yet that he is a long-term starter in your rotation. And neither is Contreras, to be honest with you. Like, right now, at best, he's a fifth starter on a contending team with his metrics. Now, he has the potential to be better, but the only guy that I'm sure that I want to make sure that I hold on to is Mitch Keller. And then I've got four other spots I've got to fill, Craig. One of them is probably Contreras or Oviedo, if I want to be a realist. And then I've got three other spots that I've got to fill with whatever's coming up through the minor leagues and free agency. 
And that's why Mitch Keller's important. Because if you if you believe that he's a guy who can be a front-end starter, and I mean sitting there in the one or two, and worst case, he's a three. Worst case, he's a three. You sign him. Because you need three good ones when you're in the postseason. You need three guys you can hand the ball to and look at the look at the box score, the lineup before the game, and say, we can win this game. If he's taking game one, if he's taking game two, or if he's taking game three of any series. You need three of them. And right now, he's the only guy on this roster with the potential to be one of those guys in game one, two, or three of a postseason when the Pirates eventually get there. And that's why you sit there with the budget that you know that Bob Nutting has imposed, and you say, well, then we got to go out and get him. You got to get him at a reasonable price because you don't want to you know, cut your legs off and not be able to do other things in the future because your payroll is higher than what your owner will allow. But this is the time to go out and get him. That's why I like that idea. Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to, Chris, because a lot of it is just a lot of question marks. I mean, Rowanzi Contreras, he's a guy that has shown flashes, and you would hope he would be able to develop the consistency. Same with Johan Oviedo. I mean, even Luis Ortiz, who, you know, by the time that this reaches people, he'll have made his debut for 2023. But he's a guy that, you know, was asked to develop a, a third pitch because, I mean, he has a 100-mile-per-hour fastball and a, and a wipeout slider. But they, they were asking him to develop that changeup, which they believe he's worked it out enough that he can come up now. Uh, but, I mean, even him is, is a question mark because he's shown, you know, struggles at times even this year uh, in the minor leagues. And then you even see like a Quinn Priester, and we always say, you know, super young, had his first really good outing uh, this past week. He went like six innings, didn't give up any runs, had a decent amount of strikeouts. Wasn't putting a lot of guys on base, but I mean, that's a guy you would hope that would work into hopefully one of those three spots. But even if you look at it there, you have four guys for two spots. I mean, there's times where only one of those guys, you know, kind of works him his way into that spot. So then you're looking even further down the system. If you get half of those guys, then, you know, you're in good shape. But that's where, like, if you lose Mitch Keller after his two years and he walks, then you maybe have one to two guys out of that four. And like you said, you're still looking for three or four guys. And at that point in time, you're just not in a good place. You're just not in a good situation. And not everybody, I mean, everybody's looking for, you know, who's going to be the ace, who's going to be that one. Well, Mitch Keller is probably the, he's the best pitcher on your staff right now. I'm not going to call anybody an ace just yet, but you said the best, Chris, is he fits into at worst, you're three. So you have one of your top three. That, and you that's need all you three. have right now. You need three. Every team that competes has three guys that they're paying a lot of money. In reality, that's I mean, that's true. Unless they find somebody who just comes along at the perfect time. Generally, when you look at postseason teams that have a legitimate chance, not somebody who gets into the postseason and you you're looking at it going, Well, they're going down in four games, you know. A team with a legitimate chance has three guys that they're paying good money because they're good pitchers in the one, two, and three spot. And you don't have, right now, you have one guy, one guy that I could sit there and say, the way that he's pitching now and since he, in, in that back half of last year, that guy could be at least in the one, two, or three spot of my future playoff team. So I think that's, I think, and, and I think the Pirates have to be thinking that. That's why, as Keller said on the radio, that, like, you know, we're talking about it. He's not going to say anything else. He's not going to. He's not going to get into detail on it. That's negotiation. He's not going to give it away. But they're talking. I think it makes sense for them to talk. If I were the Pirates, I'd be talking to him too. 
and it would probably be at the top of my list. But what, right now, of, of all the players, that'd be on the top of my list right now. But what do we do with his de facto personal catcher at this point in time? Because that's well, something that's else a problem. <laughs> and, you, here, and here's the problem. Here's the problem. You know, when you bring in Hedges, what is your goal? Your goal is to take a guy like Mitch Keller and get him to unlock the potential and to see what he can be. And that's great. But at some point, Mitch Keller's got to have enough confidence it doesn't matter who the catcher is, right? At some point, he's got to develop to the point where it doesn't matter who's sitting behind the plate because personal catchers will kill a team. You never want – I mean, let's let's fast forward to the postseason. Like, let's say that, you know, when the Pirates eventually make it into a postseason and you've got a guy who's one of your best pitchers going out there on the mound and you've got to insert a guy into the lineup in a big game that hits 150 because that's his favorite guy to catch the ball and throw it back to him, please. Personal catchers are a bad idea. They <laughs> harm teams. They, they, they make it harder for teams to win. And the amount of times that I've watched a postseason series in Major League Baseball where, you, where they're talking about how this guy's the personal catcher, but those teams get themselves erased as they get deeper and they go up against that top-tier competition because you can't have a hole in your lineup just because the pitcher prefers to throw the ball to him. So, I mean, like, here's the thing. I get why fans are annoyed because they're like, wait, well, hold on a second. We're good. Well, I don't think the plan was to be this good, right? Like, I don't <laughs> think anybody in the Pirates front office was like, we're going to jump out to this huge start. We're going to get way up. We're going to be like 10 games over 500 or so. You know, I mean, before that seven-game losing streak, they were up there. You know, they're over 10 games over 500. And, and you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't expect that. And, and so now comes the, the, the yin and the yang of, well, we still want to make sure that the right guy who's receiving is there to develop our pitcher. But at some point, we need to see whether or not the guy who can hit better will still be able to get the same results out of our pitcher. And if he can, then maybe we don't have hedges on the team very much anymore. You know, I don't think he survives the year. I think that they're just trying to figure out like, okay, well, what is this, right? Like, I mean, he's, he's definitely, it's definitely a detriment to have a guy who comes up, who's going to get a hit one out of every 10 times. That's not a good thing. No. And it's, I mean, it's not like people, I mean, uh, the biggest argument is there is what did you expect? Well, I mean, nobody, <laughs> nobody thought that Hedges was going to be like this, this great hitter, but when he hits, you know, he's hitting like one below 150 and doesn't have any of that pop and people were like well we were hoping he would like poke out like eight or nine home runs and i'm like you mean like the eight or nine home runs that he poked out like i don't know like two years ago he's got like, a 188 batting average over nine seasons like he's not a hitter yeah and he was the last time that austin hedges hit over the mendoza line which is 200 for those of you who have never heard that term before was in 2018 for the padres over 326 plate appearances he hit 231 his batting averages after that, which is, it, I mean, it's incredible too. 2019, he hits 176. In the shortened season, he could only muster 145 between two different teams, a one of which he hit 0.83 for when he was with Cleveland. He hits 178, 163 in the next two years. He's hit 151 now. This is what he is. Yeah. This is, this is what he is. He's got a career 574 OPS. That isn't his slugging. That's his OPS. His OPS plus average is 57. He's been in the negative before in his career. I didn't even know you could do that. Because 100's average. You could have a negative OPS. That's how bad of a hitter he is. That's what he is. 
Okay, so he makes he made sense for a team that was looking at development of pitchers and was waiting for its star catchers to get here. But he's not the catcher of the future, and you're just waiting for him to be moved out of the way. I mean, Delay is having a very nice start to his season, and he's putting pressure on him. And I'm kind of rooting for him to get more playing time. Yeah, and we've seen. I mean, from Delay. I mean, I looked at Delay's advanced metrics. He's Actually has two defensive runs saved to Austin Hedges, one defensive run save. I mean, a lot of thing goes to the framing. It's it's the big thing of when people called like you know stealing strikes is what it is. Well, Austin Hedges is at like a two, and 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 Jason delays at a one. So I think that's people's argument right there. I mean, obviously people want Endy. Well, the biggest thing is is Endy didn't catch for two weeks because he hurt his forearm and hasn't come, you know, full circle on that just yet. So you want to see that happen. If any doesn't get hurt and, and he's hitting well, then, then maybe this move happens, you know, sooner rather than later. A lot of people are looking at, you know, how Henry Davis is hitting down in double A. And I mean, he's hitting the cover off of the ball. Uh, the biggest thing to me is that, I mean, there really wasn't the question or the problem wasn't with Henry Davis's hitting it's with his catching ability. So until to me that develops, I'm not even looking towards Henry Davis and the people that are saying like, well, he's, he's down a level cause he should be up at triple a are the same people that are saying that triple a is not like a real level because it's just a bunch of old people holding, you know, spots there until they get to the major leagues. Well, we've had some people on here that have just basically said that, in double A this year, you're going to see some of the highest levels of pitching and the highest levels of competition that you've seen because of what happened with the pandemic that basically rosters are getting so full towards AAA with guys that they're moving up through there that guys are getting assigned down. So I don't think he's seeing a lesser level of competition, and I do want to see him catch every day because I see him as the more likely option to be the long-term catching solution because he plays catcher and really hasn't played anywhere else. Andy himself only has, you know, I think it's a couple hundred innings in the outfield in the minors, a couple hundred innings at second base and like a hundred innings at first base, but he is at least shown the athleticism to be out there, but it's, it's going to play itself out. So I understand where the frustration comes from. I think that can either be just basically taken back if you just give delay maybe four starts a week to, you know, hedges with his two, something like yeah. that. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say.